my personality to be jittery. It's part of my charm. Wrestling fans, are you ready? It's time for my one, two, three cents of the podcast on the Jittery Monkey Podcasting Network. Give me a hell yeah! Now, here's your host. The man is also a very long, dear, personal friend of mine. Does the guy have a name? Yes, he has a name. Kevin Huntsberger. Woo! Attention not-for-profit groups. Are you looking for a unique way to raise money? Stride Pro Wrestling fundraisers are always a hit. Since 2016, we've helped sports teams, schools, and civic groups raise thousands of dollars. Contact us through the Stride Pro Wrestling Facebook page to discuss the options. Hey friends, welcome to episode 398 of the My One Two Three Cents podcast. So happy to have you here on this 4th of July. Hope you are celebrating with family or friends or doing whatever it is that you enjoy doing on the birth of the United States of America. And uh, I am recording this on the eve of the 4th of July. And you may hear fireworks popping off in the background as the neighbors have already started shooting them off this evening as we record and get ready to drop this week's episode, which is another Wrestling Under the Influence. And before we get to the beer, though, let's talk a little bit about Stride Pro Wrestling. This Saturday night, Stride Pro Wrestling returns to the arena in Carterville. It is... Uh, 1130 North Division Street in Carterville, Illinois. Scars and Stripes, it's going to be a great night of wrestling action. So be sure to check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and of course Twitter. You can get all the details if you are interested in uh, tickets for the show. Be sure to message the Facebook page and we will make sure that you uh, have a place to sit and watch and enjoy a couple of hours of great wrestling action. Uh, also, want to remind you, if you are listening to this on Monday and even into Tuesday morning, there is time still to take advantage of the Pro Wrestling Tea Sale. It's the July 4th sale uh, happening until noon Central Time on July 5th. And if you go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash My123Cents, you can pick up a Stride Pro Wrestling shirt or a My123Cents shirt or both. Uh, there are four different designs to choose from. You pick up a shirt and you are going to help... Uh, Stride Pro Wrestling, Indie Wrestling in general. So, uh, again, the support is always very greatly appreciated. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, I am doing another wrestling under the influence. And I wanted to do something, you know, as I was uh, putting together the idea of last week's episode with uh, the Stone Cold Steve Austin's uh, Broken Skull American Lager. I thought, well, this would have been a, a great beer for july 4th to review for wrestling under the influence i actually again had other plans for this week's episode those plans fell through however i am confident that the plans for next week's show will not fall through as chad smart is uh, probably as this show as you're listening to it is either on his way to illinois or has already landed in illinois and uh well technically missouri and then driving into illinois but Nonetheless, Chad is coming into town for a visit this week. Uh, I 
we'll be with him for uh, a bit on Wednesday. We're going to watch AEW Dynamite and uh, talk some wrestling. Uh, I have a new idea, a new concept that I threw by him, and we're going to kick it off next week with a brand new uh, uh, episode of uh, something fun for my one two three cents that I hope that you enjoy and, and will give us some feedback on that as well. But as I mentioned, I, I am doing a wrestling under the influence here and uh, I picked a beer I, I searched kind of high and low for a beer that kind of falls into the uh, all-american theme since it is of course July 4th uh, as I'm uh, dropping this episode on Monday July 4th 2022 and what better way to celebrate than with some pro wrestling and some beer and I'm going to be drinking this week it's called hell or high water watermelon wheat beer and this is by a company called 21st Amendment Brewery. And I've had some of their stuff before. And I really, what I love about this beer is the can. You know, the can on this, the can art is pretty amazing. Um, again, it is called uh, Hell or High Water Watermelon Wheat Beer. And it's got the Statue of Liberty sitting uh, on what looks like, I'm guessing, the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, enjoying a slice of watermelon so uh, it, it, it's a fun can the, the art is fun on it so let's pop this baby open and give her a pour pours very very nicely and you know I, I am not a huge watermelon fan or at least I wasn't back in the day I've I, as I've gotten older I've, I've come to uh, enjoy watermelon more. When I was a little, little kid, there are pictures of me eating watermelon all the time. Uh, and then it was something that I just kind of grew out of, I guess. And they say your taste buds change every seven years or so. So I guess I'm back in line with uh, enjoying watermelon. So it pours very nice. It is very, very clear. And we're going to... Not an overwhelming watermelon scent to it or aroma to it. Oh, wow. That's very refreshing. Um, definitely can taste the watermelon, which is a good thing. Um, it's not, it's not uh, an overwhelming, you know, sometimes when you get the, the fruit infused or the fruit, you know, beer with, with fruit in it, sometimes it's, it's a little overwhelming or a little over the top. But that's not the case at all with this one. Not at all. And you may hear dogs panting at the door as well. I, as I mentioned, fireworks are going off and the dogs are a little... Some of them are a little spooked. And we're dog sitting this week. So uh, it's all kinds of good times here at the, uh, at the Huntsberger house. But um, yeah, I would definitely... Again, you know, it, this is a seasonal beer which totally makes sense with with the uh, the the fact that there are, is watermelon in it um, let me look here and see uh, it's only a 4.9 alcohol by volume so it's not uh, it's not gonna make you drunk or anything crazy like that but I will tell you it is very refreshing and I could see on a hot summer day sitting out uh, by the pool or on the beach or in a boat and just uh, going to town with these are really very good I'm definitely going to give this one a three count as well. And someone else I'm going to give a three count, or at least 
partly a three count too. The, uh, the person gets a three count, but I, I don't know if the gimmick will get a three count. And, um, you know, of course, tying the 4th of July with wrestling is not a difficult task to do by any means. There are so many different wrestlers who embraced the United States of America. And, and you know, I wanted to be different than doing patriotic versus, uh, you know, all-American because patriotic... You know, Bret Hart was a very patriotic Canadian. The Iron Sheik was a very patriotic Iranian. So, you know, I, I didn't want to, because I think they were both very patriotic wrestlers. Um, and I think a lot of times, sometimes as fans, we or, you know, as anyone in general, we confuse patriotism with uh, American, you know, having pride in American patriotism, I believe, kind of encompasses anyone who has pride in their own country. Um, so yeah, there are plenty of American patriotic wrestlers, Sergeant Slaughter, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Hulk Hogan, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. That's probably, those four could potentially be the Mount Rushmore of American patriot wrestlers. Not to, not to forget about guys like the Patriot, uh, but I'm going with someone a little outside the box, not completely, but uh, I think in my argument you may lean towards it as well, or maybe you disagree. And if you agree or disagree, I would love to hear from you, uh, get your feedback on social media. But uh, the guy I'm going to talk about is Lex Luger, and he became that all-American icon uh, in the WWF. 29 years ago, as uh, as this episode drops, on July 4th, 1993, he steps onto the USS Intrepid. It's the Yokozuna Body Slam Challenge. Of course, by that point, no one had slammed Yokozuna yet. He had been in the WWF for probably about, I don't know, 9, 10 months by that point. Uh, had kind of tore through everyone, beat Bret Hart at uh, WrestleMania but then dropped the title to Hulk Hogan moments later, then regains it at the King of the Ring. And by this time, Hulk Hogan is gone, at least uh, seemingly gone, from WWF TV. Um, I think he may have still been around for the European tour, but um, by this time, it was probably the writing on the wall that he was not going to be sticking around. And, you know, depending on whose story you listen to or believe... You know, was he going to drop the title back to Bret Hart or not at SummerSlam? Obviously, that didn't happen, and Hogan was long gone by then. But WWF, for whatever reason, seemingly wanted or needed or had to fill that Hulk Hogan void with another larger-than-life, all-American type uh, character. And, and, you know, Hulk Hogan, of course, came out to the song Real American and... You know, especially during the height of the Gulf War with Sergeant Slaughter in 1991, it became much more intensified in the American flag and, uh, you know, winning the championship and, and beating Sergeant Slaughter uh, at WrestleMania 7, and it became a, a, a big deal, that patriotism. And for whatever reason, it still kind of latched on and, and stuck around into... Um, 1993, and I, you know, I really, I feel like, I can't really explain the shift or what happened or why it changed. Maybe it's just 
you know, they say that wrestling is cyclical. Maybe it, it truly is. I don't know. But it feels like, you know, things really changed a lot. And, and maybe when I have a co-host to kind of bounce some of this off of, it'll make more sense. Um, I feel like 1991 was a year of a lot of change for uh, a lot of forms of entertainment. Music, Chad, of course, talked about that on, on his podcast a few years ago. Um, but I think wrestling really did take a big shift as well. And I think part of that was the Hulkamania era, you know, from 1984 until really, I would say 1991, Hulkamania dominated the World Wrestling Federation, even when Hogan was gone uh, for that little stint in, in uh, 1988, filming um, No Holds Barred and, and Randy Savage was the world champion. Hulk Hogan was still kind of that main guy. And the same thing in 1990 when he was gone for, I believe it was Suburban Commando and, and uh, Ultimate Warrior won the championship. But I feel like Hogan's uh, thumbprint or fingerprints were still all over everything and, and Warrior never really had that opportunity to flourish and shine. And, and again, I, I would rather have this debate or this discussion with someone who can kind of fire back or agree or disagree, whatever the case may be, with, with the points. Um, but I will say that, you know, by 1992, we see a lot less of Hulk Hogan on TV. He does WrestleMania 8. Then he goes away for a very long time. We don't see him again until January of the following year in 93. And then he's just there for, what, six months or so, and then uh, has left and, and, and goes to WCW, and then we don't see him again in the WWF until 2002. So I'm saying all this to say that I think that Hulk Hogan was a huge part, probably the biggest part of wrestling for a very long time. And I don't know if WWF didn't, I, I feel like in hindsight, looking back on it now, I don't feel like they did a great job of grooming and getting that next batch of talent lined up and, and ready to go. And I feel like, you know, even though Ric Flair, when he came in in 91, you know, in that summer of 91 or early fall of 91, you know, I loved it because I watched the NWA, WCW, um, and was a huge Ric Flair fan for him coming into the WWF. This was an, a great moment. But hearing that, and even by Ric Flair's own admission, you know, a lot of that WWE audience did not know who Ric Flair was, or they weren't as familiar with him as maybe the fans who watched all wrestling. Or in, And I feel like that population is not as big as, as in my mind that it probably should be. So I feel like, you know, again, we're going through this transition. We're going through these changes. Um, again, by early 93, Ric Flair, who's been there for 18 months or so, is gone. Hulk Hogan is gone. Um, Bret Hart is a singles. He's the heavyweight champion. We're trying to groom and, and get some of these other talents going. Um, you know, The Undertaker is, is, is pretty well established. He's probably the next most established superstar there at the time. Randy Savage is part-time, not really wrestling a ton. And, and so they're looking for they being the WWF, looking for this All-American hero. And obviously it couldn't be Bret Hart because he's Canadian. 
And I don't know if if they soured on Brett, if they decided to go another direction. Um, obviously, Yokozuna, the big nasty Japanese heel, the foreign heel, this monster from another land, uh, was dominating. And really, for the first time, maybe the first time in company history, and again, I'm just going off of memory here, but this is really the first time that we get a lengthy run with a heel world champion, the first time in the modern era. You know, I know Savage turned in February of 89 against Hulk Hogan and wrestled very, very briefly as a heel with the WWF Championship before dropping it in April to Hulk Hogan. So, and then, of course, Sergeant Slaughter's run was from, what, January until uh, March or April for WrestleMania, and he dropped it to Hulk Hogan. The Undertaker had it for a week. You know, when Hogan dropped it and there was any length of time of a champion with the belt, it was when the Ultimate Warrior won it, who, of course, was a face. So they are looking for this American hero, this next incarnation of Hulk Hogan, and who better than Lex Luger? He definitely had the look. When he came into the WWF, though, in early 1993, I, I personally was a bigger fan of the narcissist gimmick than I was of him turning baby and, and becoming this... Uh, all-American hero. Um, you know, I, I feel like Lex Luger was one of those personalities in his WCW Jim Crockett days. You know, when he came in and they were kind of grooming him to be the next horseman when they kicked Ole out, that young, cocky heel, I liked it. I liked that persona. I liked how he was presented. He beats Nikita Koloff for the United States Championship goes on to feud with Dusty Rhodes and, you know, drop the title to him. Um, but then gets, you know, kicked out of the Horsemen. And I even liked that transition where they kicked him out and he and Barry Windham team up and they win the championships from Arn and Tully. Uh, but then Barry turns on him. And now it's a new dynamic with Lex Luger being that uh, babyface and, and one of the top uh, babies in the company. But I think that he kind of suffered and I guess he really kind of set the precedent for it and, Eventually, others like The Big Show would, would be that guy as well. But that constant heel face, you know, that turning and, and am I a good guy? Am I a bad guy? What's it going to be? Um, I don't know that that, you know, whether that helped or hurt him. And it, it was kind of a staple for him through his WCW days, even when he came back in 95. But uh, for this podcast purpose, I'm focusing on 93. I'm telling you all that earlier stuff to kind of set up the fact that I am a Lex Luger fan, always have been, and I actually met him about 11 years ago and was a great, great guy. Uh, the interview, I, I've dropped it here on the podcast. It's in the archives at jitterymonkey.com. You can also find it on the My123Cents YouTube channel. He and Nikita Koloff sat down with me for about 20 minutes one night uh, and chatted with me. So if you are so inclined to, to listen to those interviews, you can go back and do that. But... Um, you know, when the when the thing was happening on the Intrepid, and, and you know, you had Randy Savage and Crush and Tatanka, and even some professional athletes coming out there and, tr and trying to slam Yoko, and then all of a sudden, this helicopter comes in, drops down, and Lex Luger gets out, and it was a surprise because he had still, you know, even at the King of the Ring a few weeks earlier to this, 
he wrestled Tatanka, was still the narcissist. Uh, maybe not as over the top as he had been, and maybe this was kind of setting the wheels in motion for him to to make the turn. But it was one of those unexpected things, and and you know, and then he goes full patriotic in, in the uh, red, white, and blue garb, and the music. His music changed, and it was that uh, patriotic themed the theme music, um, and and just seeing the presentation changing and. You know, I feel like there are certain wrestlers that that kind of gimmick works for. That All-American, you know, here I am, uh, God bless the USA. And it's guys that I mentioned that are on kind of that Mount Rushmore that I just kind of sputtered off of, of Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter and Dusty Rhodes and, and uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. With Lex Luger, to me, it just felt forced. and And I know... That they were trying to again find that hero. It made sense. It was July Fourth, and and so that's going to be the springboard, the Lex Express. I think for it to fully have worked, he should have beaten Yokozuna for the belt at SummerSlam, and not just beaten him by countout. Um, so I feel like that's maybe where this All American Lex Luger thing failed. One was there, him not winning the belt. Two, I feel like they were, again, trying to recreate Hulkamania and Hulk Hogan and, and get this groundswell of fans behind him. And it wasn't organic and it wasn't natural and it didn't fit Lex Luger's personality. He was better at being that self-absorbed, I'm looking in the mirror, I'm flexing, I've got these beautiful women surrounding me. To me, that's Lex Luger. And, and of course, he was like that in WCW or in Crockett Promotions when he was in the Horseman. You know, he had that that ego and that attitude and, and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it seems as when someone comes new to the WWF, their gimmick or their character gets some changes, some tweaks. Uh, and I get it. And I, I understand it. You know, Vince McMahon wants to put his uh, seal of approval, his stamp on it. And so it, it makes sense. Um, and all of a sudden I'm getting music here playing. Oh, it's playing from the, so I apologize for the, uh, interference here, but, uh, you know, Vince is going to obviously put his mark on, on things as well. Uh, we saw it with King Harley race. We saw it with the polka dots with dusty roads, the road warriors or the Legion of doom. Um, and we've seen it with countless others. And again, I'm not criticizing or complaining about that, but I feel like maybe that's what they did with Lex Luger. They took his personality and, and created it into a much bigger, they turned the volume up, as they like to say, to 11, and, and getting that narcissist uh, character going with, with, with Lex. Um, and I feel like that's maybe, for me, why it was so hard then for that transition, because it was so abrupt and there was just a few weeks difference, like I said, in, in making him that All-American. And, you know, he kind of floundered after that. You know, after not winning at SummerSlam, you know, he put together the team of All-Americans at Survivor Series. He and Bret Hart co-won the 94 Royal Rumble. Um, and then, you know, WrestleMania 10 could have been luger shining moment but instead they went back with brett he becomes the champion again and lex quite literally f just flounders the rest of his time the next year and a half or so that he's there uh you know he feuds with 
with Ted DiBiase's million dollar corporation, Tatanka turns on him. Um, you know, and he's still he's still this all American character, and I, and I, you know, the tag team that he formed with Davy Boy Smith in in early '95 as as the Allied Powers. Again, I feel like that could have worked. It should have worked. I, f- I feel like, and I saw he and, and Davey Boy wrestle Yokozuna and Owen Hart for the tag team titles at a, at a massive recording session in St. Louis in the summer of, of 95. This was right before Lex left, actually. Um, and I would have loved to have seen that. I, I feel like Lex did deserve, or I would have, I, I, maybe not deserve, I would have liked to have seen Lex with some sort of championship run in his time in the WWF. And whether that would have been a quick run, you know, beating Yokozuna at SummerSlam and then dropping the belt back to Bret Hart at Royal Rumble, I'm sorry, at uh, WrestleMania, I feel like that could have worked. Uh, But then I don't want to also discount or discredit Yokozuna and the contributions that he was making as well. So obviously not everybody can, you know, it's not uh, today's day and age where you get the participation trophy. Um, but I feel like a Lex Luger title run could have worked. And if not there, then, like I said, the tag team titles with Davey Boy, you know, a, a brief run with those and the feud with Yokozuna and uh, Owen Hart. Um, so, uh, you know, while I... I and I do kind of wish that Lex would have come back to the WWF or WWE in, in 2001 after the WCW sale. I don't know if they weren't interested, if he wasn't interested. I don't know what the case was. Uh, but I feel like maybe being able to see a little bit of redemption. And I know Lex Luger gets a bad rap still from some folks. Um, but again, I everybody I hear talk about him now does it in glowing review. You know, people change and, you know, I, I've always been... A Lex Luger fan, and I hope that uh, uh, others can see that and, and appreciate that as well. You know, in trying to fill that void of Hulkamania and Hulk Hogan in, in 1993 and, and beyond, and, and that's you know, WWF I think was just going back to what they knew and and what worked for them. And but I think we as fans that kind of started in that golden era of of WWF, you know. 83, 84 is when I really started watching and became a, a big fan, and I kind of grew up with that. And then we stuck with it. We, you know, the diehards, we stayed with it and we kept watching, but they couldn't find that next big thing for us uh, for a long time. I feel like they kind of struggled with that. Maybe until, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin came about, because I feel like, you know, even Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, they were great champions, they're great performers, they're great wrestlers, but. I don't feel like they filled any voids that were left behind by, you know, the big names, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, the Ultimate Warrior, um, you know, eventually Austin and The Rock, you know, The Undertaker, John Cena, Triple H to a degree. You know, we, we started seeing some of these guys become larger than life superstars and, and personalities. Um, and I'm not saying that Shawn Michaels was any less of a superstar than Triple H. Please don't misconstrue that or Bret Hart for that matter I just feel like um, really we went from the mega star of, of Hulk Hogan in, in 1992 we'll say 92 really 93 he leaves um, and we really didn't have that mega star again I don't think until 97 98 with the rise of Stone Cold Steve Austin so that's an argument for another 
uh, podcast. But uh, I do feel like Lex Luger, uh, had he been a little more organic, and I know, again, WWF at that time was a babyface territory for the most part. Um, so they maybe, you know, although they went with Yokozuna as, as the monster champion, could the narcissist have been the one to beat Bret Hart in the main event of WrestleMania 9 and, and gone on to uh, hold the championship as a heel for a bit before dropping it back to Bret? I, I don't know. You know, what ifs are always a fun thing, but, you know, obviously we can't predict how things would have worked out or played out. Um, in the end but i again am giving a cheers raising a glass to hell or high water watermelon wheat beer this is uh, by 21st amendment brewery and uh, again good stuff here check it out and i you know again lex luger overall thumbs up cheers to him as well but the all-american gimmick i just feel like it fell flat and it was not it didn't live up to the potential that it could have, and I think that it, kind of on Lex in the in the extent of I don't feel like he embraced it maybe like he could have or should have. Maybe. I don't know. I could be totally wrong on that. But I also think that WWE, you know, was trying to fit a round hole through a square peg in making Lex Luger a patriot. So uh, let me know what you think. Weigh in on uh, the my one two three cents social media channels. You can DM me. Uh, and leave a review of the podcast. Take a screenshot, send it my way as well. Again, thank you for listening. Check out ProWrestlingTees.com slash My123Cents. Pick up Stride Pro Wrestling and My123Cents swag. Have a great week and happy 4th of July. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to JitteryMonkey.com. Jittery Monkey.